I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge this season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. It is time, folks, for our weekly listener mail segment. We have some doozies for you. Uh, For folks who have been listening along at home, uh, we recently... Finally got through the queue of voicemails and we got our hands around it. So we have been learning a ton. We've received uh, interesting, fascinating, compelling, at times disturbing, I'll say it, voicemails from all across the world. And today we are uh, today we are hitting on some some very odd stories and, and we can't wait to hear what you think about them as well. Uh, Matt, there's one that I know stood out to both of us immediately it's one of those classic uh well maybe one of those classic stuff they don't want you to know stories about 
let's see, I don't know. Should we say cryptid or should we just say unusual wildlife? What do you think? I mean, all cryptids are unusual wildlife, but not all <laughs> unusual wildlife are cryptids. So right. it's it's definitely along those lines. <laughs> um, you know, I work with Tenderfoot uh, TV a lot, and they've got a wolf as their logo. So when I saw this message come through, I was like, oh, yeah, I like wolves. Wolves are cool. Mm-hmm. They're, they're majestic. They're pack animals. They're intelligent. Man, I'm interested in this. You just named all the positive traits of wolves. You didn't really, <laughs> yeah, like, there's, there's a lot of negative things about wolves. It's usually like used, what? like, a wolf in sheep's clothing. <laughs> like, they're, you know, the, the wolf from Little Red Riding Hood that eats the grandmother and dresses Propaganda. up in her clothes only to devour the young, you know, virgin flesh. Or wolves being, like, <laughs> uh, scavengers. That, like, basically. Okay. Yeah, seriously, Big dude, all, <laughs> all wolves do is they'll come upon a domicile, they'll assess it, and they'll go, I'm going to blow on this for a while, and let's yeah. see what happens. Let's just that, see what happens. That's they're, they're, all what about, they're all about trying things out and just testing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, think, uh, I think that wolves have been perhaps unfairly maligned. They usually are only going to, like most wild animals, they're usually only going to mess with humans if there are extraordinary circumstances. I mean, the real, the real uh, killer, as far as land animals go, is the hippopotamus. That's, that's what I would take. I would take a fight with two wolves over a fight with one hippopotamus. How about five wolves, like a full pack, or one honey badger? What do you think? One honey badger. <sighs> nah, bro. They, go for, they, they, they literally attack animals testicles just by like you know some weird sixth sense that is what they go for first thing all right, we haven't, we haven't even listened that. to this thing yet Sorry. okay yeah 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 you're right you're right but we we did really enjoy this story uh and it leads to some very interesting places i would say shall we roll it yes hey guys uh my name is brianna uh, you can use this on the show, by the way. I, I don't mind. Uh, I have a story for you guys that I think you'd find pretty interesting. Uh, the story comes from my stepmom's uncle, who I met for the first time. Uh, he he lives in Idaho, and uh, we took a family trip out there a couple of years ago. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Idaho, but it's it's beautiful. It's mostly wilderness. It's huge, and uh, they let us stay in this family cabin. Uh, on the first night, we're all sitting on the front porch, and, you know, we're just sitting around and talking, getting to know each other. And uh, my dad, who's a bit of a conspiracy nut, loves cryptids, that kind of thing, he asked her uncle, you know, living out here in the wilderness your whole life, you you had to have seen something that you, you can't explain. And uh, her uncle, he starts nodding, you know, before he's even finished talking. And he tells us a story. Uh, he was driving home really late one night from work. And uh, even at night, the visibility was pretty good because uh, the sky was clear and Idaho's so wide open. You can see out pretty far. And uh, he was driving, coming down a hill and way out far ahead on the road at the bottom of the hill, he could make out a shape. And at first he thought it was a deer. And as he gets closer, he sees that it's, it's two shapes. And then he thinks it's a mountain lion enjoying a deer. And as he gets even closer, uh, as his headlights just start to kind of illuminate what's actually there he sees that it's a wolf at least that's the best he can describe it is it looks like a wolf and he sees it pick up the deer carcass carry it to the side of the road throw it over the guardrail and jump over after it (laughs) 
He says he was so scared he uh, he couldn't think about what he just saw. He had to just block it from his mind and just keep driving and just get home. <laughs> and it wasn't until a few days later he really processed what he saw. And uh, he, he had a lot of stories. He did. Uh, but that was the one I think that still scared him the most. And uh, it scared me. And I hope it scared you guys. Uh, thank you. <clears throat> Bad time to be a deer. Yeah, enjoying a deer. I just I yeah, that, that that stuck yeah. with me. That that phrase <laughs> stuck with me. Look, man, if if you don't enjoy your work, what are you doing? You know exactly. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> and this is fascinating. So, a lot of people in the U.S. especially may not have direct experience with wolves, right? Uh, in fact, I believe now, if you are the average Jane or Joe blue jeans in America, you are much more likely to run into another kind of wild canine, the coyote, which has, you know, um, famously begun uh, the transition to becoming an urban animal, similar to some foxes. Uh, this, this is different, though. The wolves in Idaho are not acclimated. They are wild animals. Uh, a honey badger versus pack of wolves, jokes aside, you don't want to tangle with them. You don't want to get in their way. If they are killing a deer, whether or not you think they're enjoying it, leave them alone. This is not your time to be the wolf whisperer, even though that is a very cool name. Yeah, for sure. That's a cool name. Uh, a little a little more intense than the dog whisperer, though they are, you know, genetically very similar. Cesar yeah. Milan? Mm-hmm. It, it breaks my heart sometimes. And I might get some flack for this, but of course, I'm an animal person. I love almost all animals, I'd say 98%. But sometimes, you know, especially with very uh, specific breeds of dogs, I look at them, you know, at a dog park and I think, man, you could have been a wolf, bro. <laughs> and uh, it was a little chihuahua's like, nah, nah, I'm, I'm not a wolf. <laughs> <laughs> chihuahuas think they're wolves, for sure. Well, first of all, I just want to say, I think a lot of these quote-unquote animal whisperers, they got the wrong idea. They're getting it wrong. All this whispering, you got to really speak in a stern, strong voice to get animals to do anything. That's right. And never forget the whole <laughs> right. thing. Right. That's yeah. really and, important. And no, no whispering involved. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> let's get to the, the possibility that somewhere just in Idaho, there are giant wolves that are capable of picking up a large, very heavy deer carcass. Uh, not only picking it up, but flinging it over a fence and then, or what, a guardrail and then just jumping over the guardrail and getting out of there when they see the headlights. Uh, that sounds awful. Bad. We're going we're gonna to bar all of our windows in every home in Idaho now because we can't handle this. This is not right. Um, I have two things for you just at the start. Mm. One, there are wolves in Idaho. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. And they, and they can get quite large. They can get quite large, but maybe not super, like, like we're talking, That's a, that sounds like a monster wolf. Like a dire wolf. <clears throat> exactly. Well, I don't know. What, what does 30 inches to the, to the shoulder mean to you? Or over six feet long? That's the stat that I'm seeing on idfg.idaho.gov. Just, just mm-hmm. throwing that out there. Sure. Six feet long creature is, is quite monstrous in my book. Well, you know, there's the tail. I can already tell I'm going to be like the wolf <laughs> defender in this one. But you could, yeah, you're, you're right. They are, again, wild animals that you wouldn't want to tangle with. 
Uh, this story depends on a couple things here, Brianna. First, the size of the deer, right? Was it a doe? Was it like a full-grown buck? Yeah. Because that's we're talking about a lot of extra weight. And then uh, secondly, and Matt, I, I, I think we'll, we'll get here, but uh, this ties into some very old stories about Idaho uh, that have yet to be verified. Oh, yeah. There are all kinds of stories about Idaho and places across you know, what is now the United States, but for a long time was just the land that was the thing that was referred to as North America or a different place or the new world or all of those things, or just, you know, the place that it was before any of that, where there are stories of things called skinwalkers that we've mentioned many times on this show. We've explored a couple of times. Um, That's, you know, when you first hear that story, that's what, that's where my mind goes. Oh, this is a, like, this is a human wolf creature, right? <laughs> or a humanoid wolf creature or some kind of um, larger thing that can become a wolf. Again, that doesn't mean I believe that's what Ooh. what uh, your uncle saw there, your stepmom's uncles saw. But it but, you know, it sounds like it. After hearing a story like this, one of the first things you do is you start searching around online. And one of the initial places I landed, as I tend to do a lot of times, is at Snopes. And that is to just check out if there's anything reported similar to this, if there's some kind of story that's circulating around that has some research into it that's already been done, so I don't have to do it all on my own. Well, if you go to Snopes, you can check out a story about Idaho wolves. And in this case, it was, uh, I believe, several social media posts that became a bit viral that were then reposted a bunch There were specifically images of people holding up uh, wolves who have been killed in a hunt. Mm -hmm. And the wolves in these images look photoshopped. Now, I'm not saying that they are. They look photoshopped because of the size of the animals being held up. They are as large as the adult, usually males that are holding them up. Not, Not in all cases, but... It is usually an adult male holding up the carcass of a wolf, and it is the length of that person, and it is as wide as that person, at least. Mm -hmm. And according to Snopes, these are not necessarily images from wolves in Idaho. There are... They've... They've said here that they cannot definitively establish the origins of all of the photographs that have been seen according, you know, that are attached to this Idaho wolves theory and or post. But they have been able to find that some are from Montana, from Wyoming, Minnesota, Alaska, Alberta, Manitoba and other places in Canada. Um, And there were. This is what it says on Snopes. The top three photographs, which appear uh, to have the, the same wolf within them, were posted to some hunting related website in around 2009. Um, and it was identifying Edison, Alberta. It's just something to put out there. Let's get weirder with it, too. I, I said yeah. a link to you guys because uh, for any fans of cryptids, may be familiar with something that's kind of a deep cut cryptid, which is tied to this area of the world. It is known as the Shunka Warakan or the uh, the way less cool ring docus. <laughs> which, I don't know. Two very different names describe the same thing. It's um, so the wolves in Idaho, there are about 800 to 1000 gray wolves. 
And Matt, you're spot on with trying to figure out the photoshopping of that because it can be very easy to do and very subtle, right? Uh, like, look at the dire wolves in Game of Thrones. They're convincing. They are not that big in real life. Uh, the ring docus, if it is real, is. This thing has been called, you know, they used to call it the, um, like, the dog thief or the dog taker because in the ancient lore, in native lore, these things were known for sneaking into campsites and stealing full-grown dogs, similar to the way that the wolf Brianna's relative saw carried away the deer. So if you look through the stories of this cryptid in particular, then you see that this is a very, very old myth. The first name we gave, Shunko Warikin, in a native language, translates to carrying off dogs. Like, they had an M.O., and uh, they were accepted as a fact rather than a legend. And if you go past, you know, European expansion and colonization of uh, this part of what became the United States, if you get to the post-European arrival, then you see that European transplants, we're talking about this as well, as well as people who later went on to live in Idaho so, like, with these stories, with cryptid stories, there's a lot of kind of a long game of telephone, an equivalent of he said, she said sort of stuff that can't ever quite be confirmed, like legends of some kind of North American hyena, for instance, uh, which are not canines, but we'll let it go. Uh, <laughs> the, here's why the story, I think, takes a different turn. I'm going to send this to you guys. There is allegedly, Matt, I'm sure you already saw this, there is allegedly a taxidermied canid that may be a ringdocus that has not been conclusively identified by biologists. Like, no one, no one can exactly figure out what it is. And this is meant to be quite large, Ben? I'm, I'm looking at the picture, and it's hard to get a sense of scale. Yeah, there's not a banana nearby. Uh, right, so right, 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 right. But uh, and those but, really do range in size, don't they? Like, <laughs> they yeah. do. All right, <laughs> they do. And then we have a whole other story about why banana flavored candy tastes different uh, in comparison to the bananas you can buy at the store today. It's the problems of cloning. Story for another day. But yeah, I w to get a look at this, you're right, Noel. The the size is a little bit tough to gauge, but it's definitely. It's definitely pretty big based on, I would say, the brackets and the screws that you can That's see right. in the back there. Uh, it looks kind of like a hyena, though, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yep. It's uh, it's also got something, a couple of features that could be identified with hyenas. Like, notice the difference in length between the hind legs and the forelegs. Mm -hmm. uh, this creature is apparently shot in... Madison Valley, Montana, in 1886, sold to a taxidermist who stuffed it, had no idea what it was, knew it wasn't quite a wolf. So this guy, Joseph Sherwood, said, we'll call it the ring docus. And, and still, allegedly, people have no idea what it is. So do you think it's possible that our caller's relative saw something wolf-like, but not like a wolf? I don't know. I mean, if he lives in Idaho, he's probably seen wolves before, right? Maybe. Yeah, you'd think maybe, or at least aware of them. You know, a werewolf of them. <clears throat> aware wolf Sorry. of them. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. They bingo. 
Uh, well, sorry. <laughs> uh, wasn't bad. It was. I know. That bad. It was. No, it was that bad. Okay. okay, okay. Do, do, should we? Let, <laughs> sorry. I feel like that's an inside joke. We have to let people in on. Somebody made a listener made a stuff they don't want you to know. Bingo card. And was that one of them though? Uh, pun. I think it had to have been. It was right? terrible. Like that. Puns so bad that you can hear Paul doing something with the well. <laughs> no looking at Glassdoor to make sure he's being paid enough <laughs> that's it that's it yeah we mentioned that i think we mentioned that in previous episode was it on it may have been on a baby food episode or strange oh, it must have been one that i was uh, on adventures for yeah uh, that's also hard. that's a, yeah well what do you think what do you think matt back to that question do you think it's possible May, maybe it's a ring Dorcas. <laughs> what is it called? A it's ring Dorcas. Whatever I keep hearing it, it sounds like a name that like a mean older brother would call their like sniveling little sibling. <laughs> it's hey, hey. Get out of my room, ring Dorcas. <laughs> it may be a kind of hocus pocus. I just ask that we put some respect on the cryptid's name. Respect. Right? Respect. And Sorry about that. We, you know, we don't want... <laughs> The ring Dokus making fun of our names. Yeah, you're right. We we don't we don't know what th- this person saw, uh, but we do know that there are wolves out in Idaho, and specifically in 2011, Idaho removed wolves there from the endangered species list, and it is now okay to hunt wolves in certain not hunt wolves to remove wolves, usually through non lethal force. Uh, but sometimes, if necessary, through lethal methods. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an interesting thing you can read on there, just on that website, idfg.idaho.gov. The, the other thing is that there's road fatigue that we've mentioned before, and we've had a couple other callers, specifically truckers, write in mm-hmm. to talk oh, yeah. to us about seeing. It's usually a dark figure, kind well, of in the corner. There was also that wormhole guy. He talked about like losing time or whatever. Remember, uh, and that was a long haul nighttime driving situation. I believe. And I believe, yes. Matt, you're specifically talking about the legend of the black dog. So yes, the, exactly. The legend exactly. of the black dog. I love which that is, voicemail. Well, but the concept is that <clears throat> you've been driving for a long time, or just whatever is occurring, whatever the light is doing to you, just being generally tired and going through the monotony of being on the road for a long time, especially in a place like Idaho, which, as you yourself stated there, Brianna, it's a, a little flat, a little not too much going on at times. Samey is the word I like to Yeah. Use. Well, maybe you're... you're Relative, like, thought he saw something, but didn't. But I'm not saying that's exactly what happened. Who knows? Um, these are just possibilities. From from the Ringdokus to the Black Dog to just a wolf that was actually hunting and took something out and was larger than usual. Do you know? Do, do you know the phrase that these wolves are sometimes described as? It's so weird. They're called freak wolves. If you look up explanations for there's this rich history of alleged uh, hyena sightings in the U.S. or ring yeah. or whatever you want to call it. And one of the leading, more rational explanations, I kid you not, is that there are freak wolves out there. Freak wolf sounds like it's uh, a, a new single that'll play on a radio station. Freak wolf. Uh, freak wolf. Or like an undiscovered Rick James song, mm-hmm. you know? Maybe put a howl in place of the air horn. Oh, love that. But, uh, Shout out to the local band wherever you are that has a band named Freak Wolf, because uh, I'm sure you exist. Or you're welcome. 
And thank ah. you. <laughs> <laughs> so this is exciting, um, but it's also, I think, indicative of a, a weird trend that we can't forget. Um, and it's this. So if you have been paying attention to the discoveries of new animals in the past few years, uh, you've probably seen something amazing, which is that we are discovering more and more animals at a faster rate than uh, in recent history. And the reason that's happening is a little bit because we're, uh, you know, we've improved our methods as a species. But I would argue mainly the bigger factor is the elimination of the wild world, the elimination mm-hmm. of wilderness. There's just less, there are fewer places to hide. And so wolves in Idaho specifically, depending on who you talk to, are on the decline in Idaho. Their lives are not particularly uh, enjoyable. You know, we said they're 800 to 1,000. Farmers hate them would be the BuzzFeed headline because they're killing livestock, you know, because they're wolves. Uh, but is it possible that as human beings encroach further into the wilderness, there are parts of the North American continent that are still very wild. Uh, is it possible that we are encroaching upon the territory of animals that have yet to be, whoosh, whoosh, it's another bingo, discovered by, um, you know, by modern society? I don't know. I just keep mm. thinking about the coelacanth. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Dude, maybe. All I know is that the wolves that are known to exist currently in Idaho. The regular old wolves, not the freak wolves. Those range from 60 pounds to 110 pounds. So I don't think something 110 pounds can pick up a large deer carcass and launch it over a guardrail. So whatever it is, it's a mystery for now. So thanks again for calling in. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches 
We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people, and we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene! Run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back with more uh, listener mail. Uh, off mic, Ben uh, posed the very important and valuable question. Can you buy wolves? I don't think we, none of us know the answer. Um, let us know. <laughs> would, that, would that be considered an exotic pet? Or probably regulated, like wild animal? It's like buying a tiger or something? Or like a, you know, a, a lemur? It is not legal in our fair metropolis of Atlanta, Georgia, to own a wolf. Uh, so I guess the question I should have asked is, is it possible to legally buy a wolf? But apparently there are a lot of states you can own them in uh, or own wolf hybrids in. Whoa. Well, well, I can tell you another thing that's not legal to own uh, in our state or any other for that matter. And that is meth. Uh, meth is, is, is verboten still and for, for good reason. Mm -hmm. It's nasty stuff. Anyone who's seen Breaking Bad uh, can attest to this. Um, and a lot of the sources for this uh, story uh, come from Albuquerque and New Mexico, where, you know, the manufacture of meth uh, is is a huge uh, is a huge industry, um, largely because of something involving perhaps a misconception that many folks uh, might have about meth. It's something that you think of as being manufactured in seedy, you know, meth labs or, you know, facilities, makeshift facilities, you know, in basements or uh, rundown houses. Uh, but it turns out that is not the case, as we heard from Aaron, not to mention uh, the heartbreaking twist of a particular population that is uh, really being affected by this drug. Hey, guys. Uh, my name's Aaron. Feel free to use my voice on your podcast if you need to. I'm calling because I just heard one of you say, I forget who it was, one of you say um, something about meth being made domestically. Um, I was just calling because I think you guys were talking about the cartel. Um, I just wanted to let you know that it is actually, I guess the majority of it is produced by the cartel now. Um, and this used to be, I guess, privileged law enforcement information, but, um, yeah, the cartel is even using, uh, native American, uh, reservations to help, uh, traffic their products throughout the West because these reservations typically tend to be, uh, I guess, law enforcement presence there is much lower than elsewhere. Um, but
but yeah, feel free to look into the issue. Thanks. One note, uh, meth is decriminalized, I believe, in some parts of the U.S., Oregon, at least, or Portland. Well, yeah, all drugs. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Hey, you know, and, and this is a, a, a huge argument to be had in a whole another conversation for another day, like what happens when you um, prohibit the use and sale of uh, substances, you get situations like you have with the cartels swooping in and wreaking havoc uh, on populations such as uh, Native Americans because they're doing whatever they can to dodge law enforcement. Um, and, and this is very much true. It looks to be, uh, at least in the article that I found, which was a couple of years old, uh, about 90% of, this was in 2017. So yeah, in 2017, around 90% of methamphetamine uh, that is, you know, circulated in the United States is manufactured across the border in Mexico by drug cartels. Yeah. And there's, there's something interesting that Aaron brings up here. Uh, I think we all noticed, we said, this may have formerly been privileged law enforcement information. Thank you. Thank you for clearing this up for us, because the more you think about it from the perspective of cartel leadership or management, I guess they have middle management, too, I'm sure. Um, oh, yeah. The, the more you think about it, the more it makes sense uh, for exactly the motivation you described, Noel, the the um, the the goal of avoiding law enforcement as much as possible. For anyone not aware, uh, here in the U.S., Uncle Sam recognizes the inherent rights of tribes as what are called domestic dependent nations, tribal sovereignty. We talked about this a little bit in the past, I think, how there are different legal systems in place on reservations. Uh, So it is quite possible in I, I don't have this yet. I think we'd have to do a full episode on this to, to get all of the facts. But it is possible that uh, maybe some level of that local tribal enforcement could be compromised or could be bribed, you know? Well, it's one of these things, too, where, I mean, again, not to paint with too broad a brush here, but it's one of these things where it's like, we give Native Americans that that sovereignty that you described and that autonomy when it been, when it suits us, and then right. when it doesn't, we'll figure out a way to swoop in and take advantage of their land and their situation. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm again, I, I know I'm generalizing there a little bit, but that does seem to be the attitude. And when it comes to actually protecting them or getting them, say, COVID vaccines or what have you, that's that's another story. Then it's like, hey, you're on your own. You 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 wanted independence. You you know, have it. But um, there's a story I found in the Albuquerque Journal from 2017 talking about uh, two, a pair of brothers, uh, Luis uh, and Miguel Rangel Arque, um, 36 and 44 years old, who were working for the Sinaloa drug cartel and actually set up a hub, a distribution hub near Farmington uh, on a Navajo reservation there back in 2015, where they were selling meth uh, that they that was manufactured across the border by the Sinaloa cartel. Um, they rented a house there, and they recruited um, people living on the Navajo reservation, and also, you know, others. But uh, the reason they targeted 
uh, the folks on the Navajo reservation was because of the, exactly what we're talking about, that they had this kind of like almost off the books kind of situation where they weren't pr- perhaps not in the, the line of sight of uh, traditional law enforcement as much. Um, and this is something that they're being, that they're capitalizing on. And not only for the distribution, I mean, we know for a fact that first nation communities are often hotbeds for drug addiction and and for alcoholism and for a lot of these in suicide uh, just because of the, not by their own doing, but poor conditions and and unemployment and uh, malnourishment and things like that, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm. And the crushing uh, intergenerational effects of, you know, centuries of persecution, right? I, I think that the bill comes due. To your point, Noel, there is a um, there are a number of other factors too, right? We're talking about areas that are largely rural, right? It's easier mm-hmm. to get away with things away from the spotlight. Uh, we're also talking about as messed up as it is to say, we're also talking about what some people would see as an economic opportunity in an area that is in areas that are often deprived of economic opportunities. And to your point about convenience, we could go even further, right? Convenience and hypocrisy on the part of the U.S. government and say that uh, maybe there are officials uh, affiliated with Uncle Sam who have, for one reason or another, been able to turn a tacit blind eye to to this epidemic. And it seems very, I don't know about you guys, but it seems very much like an epidemic, wouldn't you say? It does. It really does. Yeah, especially in terms of Ben uh, off mic. You were talking about a stat that you ran across, um, which was a staggering percentage of violent crime associated specifically with the meth trade that happens on uh, First Nations lands. Yeah, yeah, you're right. This is uh, this is pretty somber stuff. So since the introduction of methamphetamine to these lands, uh, FBI offices located in what they refer to as Indian country, which is pretty much just a, it's a group name for all of these areas. They estimated that 40 to 50% of the violent crime cases they investigate involve methamphetamine. That can, mean, that can mean one of two things. That could mean either uh, the alphabet guys are prioritizing investigating that, or it could just be a profoundly disturbing sense of the problem, right? Of the degree to which meth has infiltrated these communities. Man, can I, I, I just want to make a confession and I'm sorry, you guys, I've, I know a lot of people will dislike this. When I hear these kinds of stories and reporting on things like this, I feel so much like a narc or like a, I don't know, like a cop where like, I, I want, I want to take down people who are putting meth in anyone's hands like that is so just not not the person doing the meth my god come on that's like oh that's somebody who's being used right as a cash cow it it is someone and that's why it's a tricky conversation because like on the on the one hand we're all adults and we can make our own choices but 
a drug like that that is so incredibly addictive um, and it offers like an outlet or, or like a kind of an escape for folks that are maybe living a life that isn't uh, the life that they would have chosen, you know, for themselves. That is the opportunistic part. Uh, it's one yeah. thing for like, you know, yuppies in New York doing coke on boardroom tables or something like that. That's its own thing. Uh, this is very much a uh, predatory, you know, very, very, very predatory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, Matt, I have to confess, when you were building up to saying that, and you're saying, I'm saying, I'm going to say something that a lot of people might have a problem <laughs> with. I swear to God, dude, I've known you for more than a decade. And I thought, is Matt about to say, I love meth. I just <laughs> love it. My I, I, wife I wanna, and I do it together. I, it's I, just I, the best. I want to double, I want to double back really quickly though, too. And just to say, what I just said about yuppies doing, you know, coke in New York City or whatever, that has, because of prohibition of drugs, a trail of bodies and that's uh, associated with mm-hmm. it and a trail of um, people taking advantage of people that are less fortunate along the supply chain of the cocaine trade and the cartels because the cartels yeah. are where that drug is coming from, too. So I say legalize it all. Get rid of the cartels. Yeah. People make their own choices. But then again, are corporations any less targeting and insidious? Would the corporations say, oh, let's leave the First Nations people alone? No meth for them, right? Yeah. No, they would say they were adults. They can make their own choices, and they can. But yeah. this is different. This feels very uh, insidious. And I, I, again, I'm not sure where to even fall when it comes to something like meth or heroin, but I do know that the fact that it's illegal is what causes these situations. Were we seeing things about women being targeted, yeah. uh, oh, yeah. to traffic, you know, in these, uh, reservations? Yeah. We're, we're seeing that specifically with native American women in certain, certain areas, Cheyenne tribes there. You can, you can search for this thing, uh, not on our land, and there, there's a title here, Tribes, Cartels, Luring Women to Traffic Meth. You can learn about the true human impact on the, you know, <clears throat> on that level as well. I mean, we've had other listeners write to us and call to us specifically talking about meth and families getting mm-hmm. caught up in trafficking meth. Um, like a, you know, a mother or a wife or a husband or somebody who just happens to be selling meth and now... That's their life. Hmm. It's just, uh, it's terrible. It's it's really terrible. Well, you know, uh, there are so many things wrapped up in this. Uh, three things I'll say briefly. So I cannot be the only person listening to the show today who saw methamphetamine go through rural towns like a goddamn tornado, you know, mm-hmm. like a natural disaster. And... Uh, when we see that level of chaos and destruction, we have to ask who benefits, right? Because to to the point about legalization of all drugs, uh, whether you are for it, whether you are against it, whether you are somewhere on the spectrum of like decriminalization or something like that, there's no going around the fact There is a huge industry built entirely upon the war on drugs. And yes, some of these substances irreparably ruin lives beyond the point of no return. Uh, And then, you know, there is a profit motive for, for a lot of these things. There is a system that exists that profits 
off of drugs being illegal. And it doesn't just involve cartels, I would argue. Oh, we're talking about drugs that tore through rural communities. Let's talk about Oxycontin and Mm -hmm. things like that. A a legal drug, quote unquote, manufactured by a massive corporation that profited hugely off of off of the misery of of these people. And then, you know, got a little slap on the wrist and and paid a fine. Um, But I remember a time uh, when Things like, you know, Oxycontin and Percocet and uh, Dilaudid and things like that that were very heavily regulated, no doubt, uh, painkillers, but just sweeping through those parts of the country and and ruining whole lives and whole families' lives. Um, And those are legal drugs. So I just don't see the distinction. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's all... Uh, on an equal playing field of nasty to me. And you might as well just get rid of the part that actually, you know, decapitates their uh, competition or, Mm. you know, like families that live in their wake and try to speak up against what they're doing. And I'm obviously referring to the cartels. Yeah. And that goes to the second point I want to make, which is, is chiefly about that distinction. So much of this goes into branding. There are, Definitely people you know who are currently on some form of amphetamine. And it's just, it's not called meth. It's not quite the same thing. But remember, Adderall contains amphetamine. And Adderall is a drug of choice for thousands of brilliant college students and college professors as well. The distinction, I don't know, it's like, remember the um, racist laws regarding prosecution for powder cocaine versus crack cocaine, mm-hmm. right? There was there was a systemic issue at play here. Uh, the the third the third point I would I would say that's salient in regard to this is that it's an ongoing thing that is not getting national coverage. Is it? I mean I see Noel, you did a great job um digging up some some of the the local journalistic work from Albuquerque and from and we we saw multiple other regional sources, but where is the national attention? You know what I mean. And how long are cartels going to get away with this? Like I I do think, like honestly, if you wanted to depower the cartels, morals and ethics aside, the best way to do it is to change the legal environment such that their endeavors are no longer profitable. You're 100% right. That's the easiest and probably the most effective way to do it. And it probably won't ever happen. I mean, maybe with marijuana. I think marijuana will be legal around the U.S. eventually, or at the very least decriminalized. But I, 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 you know, I hope to see it in, in the next handful of years under this administration. I don't know. Because, uh, I mean, at least shift the money to be made to the right places or to places that we can actually benefit from, like infrastructure, you know, uh, road work, you know, what, what, what have you, things that actually benefit us as, as citizens, you know, tax that stuff and, and, uh, and put it to, put it to good use as opposed to it just literally disappearing across the border. <laughs> Colorado yeah. definitely made a great case for a lot of the political class when they made it legal to sell marijuana. Remember what happened? They made boatloads of money and they sold out of weed. Because everybody was going straight to Colorado and they walked off with a huge surplus. Uh, So that's what I'm saying. Like, there are all kinds of uh, feel good statements that politicians and some business leaders will make regarding this situation. 
But ultimately, if you want to predict how things will most likely fall out, you have to start with the numbers. You have to start with the money, um, which is depressing, but it's yeah. true. I mean, Breaking Bad explored it as well. You want to know something else depressing? Uh, if you OD on an opioid, uh, not good, but there is that thing called, I think it's naloxone. Um, yeah, mm. naloxone can mm. revive you if you OD and someone discovers you and can get that drug to you. Narcan. Is, is it Narcan, Narcan? One of them? Narcan is one. Uh, nasal naloxone is another, mm -hmm. uh, which I think Narcan is like the, the brand name of or whatever. But, um, if you OD on meth, there's not much that can be done for you if you fall asleep and go in, you know, to a coma and then just don't wake up. Um, it's pretty terrifying. And only at least in, as of in 2016, around 7,500 people died. That's an estimate of directly from methamphetamine uh, usage. So, you know, that's overall, that's not a lot, but that's thousands of people. Um just please be careful out there, whoever you are, if you're listening to this, just be careful with any drugs like this, because as as we're all saying here, you can find meth or accidentally take it because it can come in these little white pills that look like any other little white pill. And ah, just be careful. Well, not to mention things like ecstasy or, you know, pressed pills that you're buying on the black market that could contain God knows what. Uh, not to be preachy or anything, but, you know, when you're buying, say, cocaine or anything that comes in a powder form and you don't know if it's been cut with something like, uh, so like so, what is it, um, uh, fentanyl, you know, something that literally can kill you dead. Um, so if you're out there doing that stuff, just be cautious and just know who you're getting it from. And, uh, if you're living this lifestyle, have one of these things, you know, have one of those, those things that can revive you so someone can find it on you and help you. I know that sounds extreme, yeah. but, uh, it's not untrue, but yeah, you're right with meth. It's, you're kind of out of luck. And the problem becomes, uh, exacerbated, becomes compounded when we consider how the legal system treats disadvantaged people who are caught up in the drug game. You know, like you are, the, the prison system in the U.S. has come under a lot of valid criticism because it is not rehabilitative, right? It's punitive. You are, you are being punished. You are, not, uh, you, you are not in some way being rehabilitated to enter society uh, in in a productive way, and so for a lot of people, you know, you might have messed up once, right? Or you might have messed up twice. You know, you just got caught at the wrong time in in your wild party years, and now you are in the system. You are in prison for years, and then when you get out, if you go back to an economically disadvantaged area, you might end up saying, "Dang, the best the best like prospect I have." is going back to selling selling drugs because no one will hire me. You know what I mean? We're whether through incompetence or sinister design, a feedback loop has been created. And it is a feedback loop that occurs in every major American city and it occurs in every rural area in the US somewhere. And the question is, I think all three of us are are posing some brilliant questions like how do we how do we navigate it? Do we just say, do what thou wilt, 
shall be the whole of the law. That's not going to help the children or the relatives or the victims of people who have become intensely addicted to a substance. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I think some form of decriminalization will help. But also, honestly, I think since the war on drugs, there's been a conspiracy, not on everybody's part, but there has been a conspiracy amongst a faction of people, a school of thought in this country to keep things, to to have these heavy penalties, keep things uh, illegal, and then do backroom deals. Like Iran-Contra only worked because cocaine is illegal. So it was able to become a black bag income stream. If, if that stuff was decriminalized, not even legal, if it was decriminalized, then they would the question would be like, well, what are we, are we trying to make a lot of illegal money off selling Advil, basically? I'm not saying cocaine and Advil are the same. I'm not. I've, I've never experienced cocaine. I've had my fill of Advil. I thought you were going to say, I've never tried Advil. I've never tried (laughs) Advil. (laughs) But, but you see what I'm saying? You know, like, I, I feel like that's something that's preventing us from finding a solution here. And the longer this country takes to find a solution, then the more people are, are who are going to be suffering from enormous tragedy, you know? And I didn't know, like, I did not know before we got this call from Aaron. I had, I had no idea that this epidemic was ongoing. You know what I mean? Yep. I didn't either, uh, honestly. Um, and it is absolutely disturbing. So first, if we're sticking on bingo, guys, do you think I was audibly disturbed by the topic? Not enough. No, no, <laughs> okay, not, cool. not, not audibly. Not audibly. <laughs> not I can audibly. see it in your eyes, though. I can see you got that little, little I got twitch. the dead look. I'm just like, hmm. And we want to hear about your experiences if you have uh, grown up in these communities. We've, we've received fantastic correspondence uh, that taught us about the uh, assimilation efforts of the U.S. government. I remember that specifically. Uh, We want to also know what you think the solutions are because the cartels are powerful. They are incredibly powerful. They are ruthless and they are smart. And there is a war in all but name going on in several uh, South American and Central American countries between governments and the cartels. The cartels are very well funded. So is there a way to stop it? What What is the best way? I mean, I'm haunted by this, you guys. I'm flummoxed because I don't, like, usually we can point to something and we could say, even if this will never happen, this would solve problem X. But I, I just don't know in this case. I really do not know. Well, with that, we'll take another quick break and we'll be back with more listener mail. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents... She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About $6 million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hermosi, Layla Hermosi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back. Uh, this this is an important one that came to us from an anonymous source. I have some ties with some of this stuff just going in, but it it's a question that a lot of people don't think about, and uh, I'd like to explore it with you guys. Uh, I would just say before we even get into it, Ben, I think this might be a whole episode. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, I agree. Hey, do an episode on, well, I mean, if you would like to, I'm not trying to tell you to do it, but do an episode um, on private intelligence agencies. So, I mean, it's been brought to my attention that there are intelligence agencies now operating in the United States and other nations that are not bound to any state actor. Um, so this is a concern of mine and I would like to see what you guys can come up with, with your level of research and, um, you know, your ability to get deep in onto topics because you guys are re really good at that. And you come at it in a very level headed way. <clears throat> As always, I love the show. It keeps me occupied. Um, have a good day, man. Take it easy. 
Thanks so much, Anonymous. Uh, this, this Dude, is why are you concerned? Everything's fine. It's cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? Uh, this, this is something that, yeah, I think we can all agree, wish more people would talk about out in the open. Uh, private intelligence agencies are a big, big, big thing, and they are right at the crux of the ongoing debate over the role of the private versus the public sector. Um, you've heard of private intelligence agencies before. You probably just haven't heard them described as PIAs. So one of the biggest private intelligence agencies, and spoiler alert, folks, one we're going to focus on uh, for at least part of our full episode on this phenomenon is the Pinkertons. You guys remember the Pinkertons? Oh, uh, yeah, the Pinkerton Detective wait, Agency. Wait, that, that wasn't some kind of government arm? Well, it wasn't originally. It was a private, it just started as like a detective agency by this guy, Alan Pinkerton, wasn't that his name? Mm-hmm. In 1850, uh, still around today, they are a subsidiary of a security service outfit called Securitas AB. I guess they just... Whoa. Started at the at the beginning of the alphabet, at the end of the whatever. Uh, they they had a lot of work to do. They spent most of the time thinking of uh, the first name Securitas. Uh, yeah, this this is the parent company of the Pinkerton uh, National Detective Agency, and they kind of ride a line between a private security detective force and functioning as an intelligence agency. This is kind of like. You know how in the world of physics, when you drill down into smaller and smaller units of measurement, you start to see the rules of reality get a little bit fuzzy. The closer you look at some of these private detective agencies or security agencies, it becomes increasingly difficult to draw a sharp line between them and private intelligence agencies, which take a number of forms. Right. If you're a longtime listener of this show, you already know a lot about one PIA, Cambridge Analytica. Mm. They're a private intelligence agency. They collect data and then they leverage it for the I benefit forgot. of their clients. I forgot that's what they were. My God. You know, I've also heard of something called SIG or SIG, which, and I've only seen it mentioned a few times in passing and research over, like, over the past, God couple of years, uh, I didn't realize they were a private in intelligence agency as well. It's like, are these things just everywhere? Because yeah. I'm thinking about private um, private investigators, right? I'm, I'm, I'm In my mind, maybe I think I've melded the two concepts together mm -hmm. rather than an actual intelligence agency. Um, but this is, this is a whole new thing for me. It's blown my mind. Yeah, SIG is a strategic insight group. Okay. A private intelligence firm that's the the thing is with these with these outfits, they're not they are not beholden to serve a government, right? Uh the way that uh, intelligence agencies in theory are when they're state powered. I would I would argue that the private and public sector gets real muddy when you get to things like the CIA, which corporations do they serve versus governments. Because mm. uh, a lot of them went to the same schools together, right? Uh, anyway, maybe that's a bit <laughs> too far. But uh, but these these intelligence agencies are not all cut from the same cloth either. Some are simply uh, supplying on the ground data to 
investment firms or corporations, whomever their client may be. Um, others provide, like uh, I used to be, Matt, I know for sure you, and maybe you as well, Noel, I used to send updates from a private uh, intelligence agency uh, that would that would send me updates, uh, a place called Stratfor, uh, mm-hmm. without the D. And that was primarily, it was a, just a fascinating geopolitical read. You know what I mean? There's nothing in those newsletters that's like, hey, oil money, put your money, you know, put your money here and take it out of here or anything like that. But these companies wield an enormous amount of influence and a lot of, like, like some of those private uh, military contracting companies we talked about, a lot of them thrive by not being in the spotlight. Like you, you heard of Cambridge Analytica. Have you heard of the Archimedes Group? Have you heard of Black Cube? I mean, these Whoa. names are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, this is, the big question is, first off, there's nothing wrong with people doing this. There's nothing wrong with, you know, maybe let's say, let's say like you are, you are recently retired and you have served as a member of an intelligence apparatus, there's nothing, depending on how you navigate it, right? Caveat, there's nothing inherently illegal about you going and becoming a consultant for one of these places. Or like you retire from the police force and you become a consultant for the Pinkertons. You know what I mean? The 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 part where it gets conspiratorial and weird and sticky and dangerous is when we question how much influence these intelligence agencies have over state-level actions, how much intelli- how much influence they may have on what might be considered insider trading. It's it's weird because this sounds this sounds like a very specific niche, right? But it's not. It's it's yeah. huge, man. Dude, I've just I've went to the website for Black Cube and mm. it says right on the front a select group of veterans from the Israeli elite intelligence units, uh, is that like Mossad, uh, that specializes in tailored solutions to complex business and litigation challenges. Like, cream of the crop, now now we're for hire. <laughs> that's, so, that's so scary to me. Even though, I don't know, it's that, well, y'all have nothing to hide. There's no reason you should be worried about this kind of thing. Mm. This is for, you know, like you said, Ben, big companies, people who are trying to do litigation, make business decisions. They want to get everything they can on their opponents or, you know, people who may, someone they might buy or a firm they might acquire. Uh, but still, it just, well, I don't know, feels feels weird. And sometimes this can be, you know, relatively passive. Like, again, it runs the gamut of what I would call the INTS, I-N-T. Not a Lord of the Rings reference, unfortunately, today. But, no, okay. That's, those but, are the tree dudes, right? Yeah, yeah. It's the, the, the INTS with an E, oddly enough, are real and run all intelligence agencies. That's why things seem to move so slowly at times. But yeah, the I-N-T, INTS, uh, this refers to the... Let's think of them as the genres of intelligence that can be collected. There's things like human, human mm. intelligence. I have a live source. Mm-hmm. Uh, every, every other, um, well, you wouldn't do it on a routine. Uh, you wouldn't do it on a pattern because you get caught. But let's say like you check a dead drop every day. And if you get the right coded message, then you meet up at a little cafe or tea house in Tehran 
and you get the scoop on how the government's reacting to Stuxnet or something like that. That's human intelligence. Signals intelligence, collecting electronic communications. Uh, strategic intelligence is kind of an applied version of these things where you synthesize concepts and you analyze this raw data and then you use it as the blueprint or the the starting point, the square one for forming policy or even militaristic plans. So this stuff is real and it's crazy to admit that private companies can do it all the time and do it all the time. Uh, but when you think about it, it makes a dangerous kind of sense because a lot of the people who work in these situations, they may be called consultants, but a lot of them are have a, a little more in common with Liam Neeson and take it. They've got a very specific set mm. of skills, <laughs> you know? Don't take their daughters, jeez, or their wives, or their husbands, or whoever. Just don't John, take them. John Wick style. Don't touch their dogs. Mm. You know what I mean? Don't, <laughs> just, just, just as a preview, there. Um, I know I've got to cut this short because we're we're going over time. But the this is such an awesome uh, suggestion, anonymous. Yeah, and I greatly appreciate it. I would also be interested in hearing from people who have participated in private intelligence agencies, if you are able to speak about it, if you are comfortable doing so. We, of course, uh, we, we of course, will do our level best to keep you anonymous. That is your preference. We 100% have your back. Uh, we just think that this is a nest of conspiracies. There's a Matryoshka doll of conspiracies, and it more than deserves a full episode. It might even have to, you know, it might even have to be like a list episode where we just take five or six of the big players and then we look at their exploits. And um, then we call them all and try and get interviews with all of them. And then we pit them against each other in some kind of Mortal Kombat style private intelligence <laughs> combat. <laughs> there we go. I mean, like right now, like any other privatized industry, uh, there are a few big players that overwhelmingly dominate the space because they're dug in. They have the access, they have the resources, they have the scale. Uh, they they are uh, not wolf whisperers, but let's call them Washington whisperers. They can get things done with a very quick, quick phone call. And when you see how that stuff actually works, when you get close to how the... Um, espionage sausage is made here. And I'm not saying it's all skullduggery and spycraft, but when you get close to it, it, it's scary how easily some of these things can happen and how much happens in the shadows. You know what I mean? Like past the limit of the streetlight. Uh, so we'll pause here. Uh, thank you again, Anonymous. Again, anybody who is comfortable writing about this, uh, please let us know your opinion on private intelligence agencies, good work they've done, bad work they've done, stuff more people should know about them. And then also let us know, as we said earlier, your experience. If you are in a First Nation or Native American community that is currently uh, dealing with the methamphetamine epidemic or with the cartels themselves. And then, of course, fellow Canid fans, what do you think's in Idaho? Mm -hmm. what have you seen let us know we try to be easy to find on the internet that's right you can find us in the usual social media spots of note we are 
Conspiracy Stuff on Facebook, Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram. If you're a Facebook person, why not check out our Facebook group? Here's where it gets crazy, where you can participate in the conversation in real time. That's right. Check it out if you use Facebook. If you don't, hey, you can call us with your phone. Use that thing that uses your, what is that, your mouth? Uh, you can talk into your phone and we will hear you. Leave a voicemail at one eight three three stdwytk We, you know, we've, we keep saying this over and over, but please, first thing, what's the name you want us to call you? Can we use your audio on the air? Knock those out right up front. Then tell us your story. Then if you want to have a personal message to us or something silly or whatever it is, you can say that at the end. We do ask that if you've got an extensive message that's going to take longer than three minutes, instead of calling in, please send that to our email, which is conspiracy at iheartradio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the Ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the Ferryman of Souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge this season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.